You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Wait a minute. Do you still think politics is boring? Well, not when you can say fun words like cacus. Yes, it's fun words like cacus and more. With the intellectual, intersexual, and intersectional, Nicole Sandler on NicoleSandler.com. If you watch the news, then you've of late read About the Moms for Liberty and how we stand for bigotry We are the smiling face of hatred As we attack LGBTQ, CRT, and Barbie too We want to make education littler We ban books that millions have adored And we like to scream at our school board Our newsletter proudly quoted Hitler With whom we actually sympathize So why should we apologize? We don't think Jews are Americans But that shouldn't hurt They're free to convert Of racist homophobes We're big fans In fact, we're equal opportunity bigots We claim we're just normal love Moms, completely grassroots, though we're in cahoots with right wing groups who like throwing bombs at any attempts at inclusion and fairness. So come and join us, Nazis in the neighborhood, as we harass anyone who is not like us and make sure no one can learn any history. Combating progress and diversity. That's us, the moms for liberty. Don't stop the video just yet. It's oh, someone with so a very good. quick reminder that these videos don't produce themselves, but you can help me by joining my Patreon, where for as little as $2 a month, you can help me continue to make the videos that help you laugh the news and would otherwise make you cry. Thanks. Lauren Mayer, everybody. <laughs> that was just awesome. For her to use that dun 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 but perfect. She's you know, she just pulls them out of her hat. Uh so good. You know, I do have one other um song to play for you today. And let me see if I can if I can pull it up really fast. Because with all the um the talk about Jason Aldean and the, you know, don't do this in a small town. You've heard that all that crap, right? Um there's a, I have a friend, uh, an old friend from my music days in Los Angeles uh, named Chris Willman, who is the music writer for Variety Magazine. And he, um, he wrote a story last week that kind of went viral on how this other country artist, who I had never heard of before, um, he goes by the name of Adeem the Artist. I, I, again, I never heard of him, but, but I have to share this with you because... Um, I, and nobody else really had heard of him before either. Um, then Chris wrote this piece, and apparently this video went viral. Um, and, and let me just share it with you. So again, this is in response to a uh, country artist. I use the term loosely. Uh, Jason Aldean, who who wrote that horrible, you know, he, I don't even think he wrote it. He sang and did a video for this song, Try That in a Small Town, which is like a, 
an anthem to lynching or something. So um, here is one country artist's response. Take it away, Adeem, the artist. Hey, y'all, it's me, Adeem, the artist. I, uh... I'm going to level with you here. I don't yeah. agree with the politics of Jason Aldean That's in any good. way. Okay. But I got a call from the record execs this morning. And they said that uh, he's trending really well. <laughs> and if we want to see some higher impressions and some uh, some retweets, stuff like that, we really ought to do a, a cover of a Jason Aldean song. And I thought, well, impressions is what I care about most. So let's do this. You know what I mean? Let's do it. So uh, please share it away. This is Jason Aldean's new hit. Okay. Uh, it's called Sundown Town. Sundown Town. <laughs> We got no protests or civil unrest Never took a goddamn COVID test And we can all read, but we don't do it Driving trucks valued higher than a new Corvette Yeah, we all wear boots and we love to shoot And we root for the cops to stop people like you This is a sundown town Uh-huh Oh, baby, it's a sundown town Never let the sun go down on you here, brother, or the guns come out. That's true that I am ignorant on most of this. A couple folks, for some reason, called me a bigot. Yeah. But I sweat a lot, and I sing them loud. Even though I didn't like the shit I'm singing about, I just read the words and say, yeah, that one's good as long as it implies a gown and hood. This is a sun. Oh, baby, it's a sundown town. Better never let the sun go down on you here, brother, or the guns come out. Hell yeah. That's a... Is that it? Jason Aldean. (laughs) No, that's Adeem, the artist, who, um, you know, that's making lemons out of lemonade, Right. Uh, uh, it's a sundown town. You know, it's, it's, it's some people who've got their heads buried in the sand, maybe now they know what a sundown town is. And uh, that's that's called a silver lining. I got to tell you, I'm I'm still riding high, d- despite everything that's going on in the world today, um, from Saturday night. So um, if you were here Friday, you heard what I thought was a pretty great interview with Michael Franti. And I, and I hope you were inspired to check out his music over the weekend. Uh, the concert was just magnificent. I mean, it was so good. Um, and as I tried to get across on Friday, the thing about um, Michael Fronte is he is, as the, 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 the phrase, the word that I coined, a feel-gooder. He has the ability to make everybody feel good. So... Um, you know, I shot a lot of video on my phone because it's there, right? And and this morning, I just wanted to share it all because I'm still riding high from that. And uh, so I edited together like a 15-minute long um, video from all the clips that I put together. Uh, let me see if I can't. I'll pull up a little bit of it for you, but I'll post the whole thing. On my blog where I post today's show, it'll be at NicoleSandler.com slash 7-24-23. But you should be subscribing, if you're not already, to my um, uh, to my um, my YouTube channel. And it's just at Nicole Sandler. They, they've made it much easier <laughs> on, uh, uh, to, to uh, get somebody's individual um, YouTube page. So it's posted there along with each day's show is always there as well. But I want to share with you a little. So we've got news coming up. Just so you know, Tom Hartman is here today. He will join us at the bottom of the hour. So at like the 30 minute mark. And we're going to talk about democracy. You know, his new book is uh, The Hidden History of American Democracy, uh, Rediscovering Humanity's Ancient Way of Living. And he does draw a parallel to uh, where this idea of democracy, small d democracy, came from. Um, and it's fascinating history that many of us did not know. And certainly if you go to public school in any town USA, especially any town Florida, um, you're not being taught the truth. So Tom Hartman, once again, uh, performing a public service here. So we'll get into that with Tom. And actually, what a day, because as we as we turn towards 
Israel, um, they are on the verge of losing their democracy right now as we speak. So there are parallels there. We'll get to. But before I get into the news and that stuff, I, I just need to share a little bit more of this positivity with you. Yes, a democracy if you can keep it. <laughs> Hello. Um, you know, the, the, I, not, I titled today's show, you know, each day, each show I put a, some kind of a, a title on it. And today's is Nice Democracy We Got Here with Tom Hartman. Um, of course, what's implied is that threat, you know, uh, paraphrasing the old threat, like nice whatever you got there, it'd be shame if something happened to it. So that's where I was going with that. Uh, it would be a shame if something happened to our form of democracy. Yeah, that would really suck. Um, all right, so let me tell you a little bit about about um, uh, uh, Saturday night. So um, first of all, oh my God, what talk about a roller coaster. Allison and I get to the venue. It's in Pompano Beach. It's about a 30-minute drive from where I live, uh, right at the beach. And uh, as we, we're getting out of the car and walking towards the venue, and David calls. Like, I hear him freaking out. He's like, Jackson got out. Jackson got out. So somehow the back gate got open and Jackson was gone. So it's like, okay, well, there goes the concert. We got back in the car. We started driving home. And thankfully, he found Jackson. He was around the corner chasing after a lawnmower. So crisis averted. We got back, went into the venue. We were invited to, you know, Michael Franti does this meet and greet, does a VIP thing for people who pay extra for it. But boy, is it worth it? Because what he does is he comes out into this room and he does a little um, acoustic performance. I'm going to show I'm going to show you like a few little clips. Um, But but so this is uh, in this little room. So, so this happened, right? So this is uh, um, in in the room uh, where everybody got to. He did like a he did like four or five songs, did a Q and A, took pictures with everybody. In fact, I'll hear all. Um, it, it was so cool. Um, and so this was the the uh, you know the hour before the show actually started. I, I got. I'm going to forward in and, and show you the picture we took with him because if I can queue up to it. Um, probably not. Okay, let's see if I. Okay, here it is. So here's here's the picture of uh, uh, me and Allison and Michael Fronte and Spearhead. So we got to say hi, and then, oh my God, the concert itself was so amazing. Let me tell you, when, when I talk about the positivity, I'm just going to play a little bit of of one of the songs, and all his songs are like this. And the thing is, the thing that's so cool. Um, that that made my heart warm is, and I told you this on Friday. You cannot go to one of these concerts and and not be smiling and not be happy. So at one point, um, I can't. The whole thing is like 13 minutes long, and I'm telling you, go to my YouTube page and watch it because it it, it is that good. So here's just a little bit of the concert. He he spent as much time out in the venue, like playing in the back of the theater, as he does up on stage. And at one point, he was um, he stood up on the chair right in front of where Allison and I were were uh, sitting. Um, but he, I want to show you a little bit of the, the, the message he imparts. That was a song called Bad Shit Happens, But Good Shit Happens Too. I think this might be where he, I don't know. Just I'm going to just give you a couple of minutes of this because it's too good. You know, 
the, the, the ages at the show was like 2 to 82. And everybody was up and dancing. Okay, here's where he comes up in the crowd. I'm going to show you how he, he comes up right, right in front of us. He's on the chair right in front of us. And listen to what he's singing. Things are going to get better. Things are going to get better as long as we're together. Things are going to get better. just in this mood of things getting better. I want to share, I want to share two more quick things. I, I mentioned that the, um, the crowd, oh, oh i got to show you. Al, here, here. Okay. Everyone's up on the, the, the uh, stage and dancing. He brings people up and the whole place is dancing. Today would be a very good day just to have a good day. It's all positivity. But I want you to look at the crowd that's dancing here. I'm shooting the crowd now, and Michael Franti is in the back of the theater and a little stand. He spent as much time back there as he did on stage. But there was a couple, they they had to have been in their late 70s, early 80s, up behind us just dancing. I bring this up for a number of reasons. One is... I mean, you can, you can see the, the age range of the crowd and everyone's on their feet with their hands in the air and just dancing. Show was like this, um, and then you know he brings people up from the audience. There was one young man. Let me see if I can bring it to. Uh, here we go. So at one point he goes to one of his biggest hits. and Spearhead, they are on tour through uh, August. And um, if you go, michaelfronti.com is the website. Look at the tour dates. If he comes near you, go see him. And I'll tell you something. The tickets are reasonably priced, which is something else to celebrate in this day and age. Um, I'm still riding high from it. And so, okay, so I'm honest with you guys. You know, I've been doing this ketamine therapy. And 
I may tomorrow play you some of the the last session. But this last session that I did, I I started, I was doing like these chants. And at one point, you know what, I don't have a cued in, but all I could think of while we were there singing and dancing and laughing was one thing I said during this ketamine treatment, which uh, let me see if this is it, because it'll blow your mind. Hold on. Do I say it here? All of our connections. Okay, that's not it. <laughs> All of our connections. Yes, I We're talked connecting. about that. Okay. Is this it? Hold on. Um, I go into this chant here. Is this it? I sing, I laugh, I dance, I make things. I sing, I laugh, I dance, I make things. I sing, I laugh, I dance, I make things. It doesn't even I sound sing, like me. I there's laugh, like a I dance, I make There's things. a weird accent or affectation. I sing, I laugh, I dance, right? I make things. We're all connected. We're all connected. We're all connected. <laughs> so this was in my ketamine therapy session which I've been recording because on the at the end of it I don't remember anything. And that that came jumped out at me. It's like, whoa, I sing, I dance, I laugh, I make things. I usually don't sing and dance, at least not in public. So um, we'll we'll get into that a little more tomorrow. But anyway, so, um, yes, I'm still on a high from that. Can't recommend it highly enough. Go see it. You can see the, the, the positivity is just sky high. So back to reality. Now, today is Monday. I'm possessed by Martha Stewart. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get the Martha Stewart reference. Not really. But um, yeah, anyway, so today, you know, the big news today is over in Israel, where the parliament approved a portion of, of Bibi Netanyahu's, uh, his coalition's plan to reshape the country's judicial system and and basically um, knock down the Supreme Court. So they don't. Yeah, right. Lauren says you have a slightly British sound there, right? That's what I'm saying. It wasn't it didn't sound like me. It, <laughs> tomorrow. We'll deal with it tomorrow. So I got to get to I got to get more serious because, you know, Tom Hartman's coming on. Um, so I thought today I would try calling um, um, try calling the uh, try calling Israel and see what's happening. So I called a hotel. I figured rather than do it live on the show because we waste so much time, I would try it beforehand. And it's a good thing I called beforehand because there was a lot of no answers and a lot of people who just didn't want to talk to me. But I called this one hotel, the Shalom Hotel in Tel Aviv. Shalom and relax. Mirishet Melonot Boutique Atlas. Anahamtinu v'tanu behekdem. Okay. Okay. We'll see if somebody speaks English. Hi, do you speak English? Yes, I can help you. Yes, hi. I'm calling from the United States. I'm just concerned about what's happening over there today. How are things? About the protest, you mean? Yeah. Well, uh, it continues. People are not going to stop, I think. But yes, uh, it's, uh, it's a bit complicated today. If you probably watch the news, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of scary. I mean, over here, uh, many of us, most of us, I think, are frightened that our democracy is threatened. Is that how you feel over yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, me, I'm in the hotel right now, so I don't really feel it. But I saw some people outside protesting. Yes, it's fine. Yeah, the, the thing is that I'm not the right person to ask because I'm French. So I feel a, a bit less directly concerned, to be honest. I see. Um, I, 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 I'm not the right person to ask. You know, maybe you should ask a real Israeli uh, right. person how he feels about it. Yes. But, uh, I'm a bit out of it, to be honest. Okay. It's, but it's, you know, it's it scary. It is what it is, but Think, I'm a bit out of this. Right. Things are kind of scary in France now, too, though, aren't they? Oh, I'm not scared in general, you know. <laughs> Democracy. I mean, the whole world is scary, I think. So mm. we need to either get used uh, to it or either get out of this. <laughs> <laughs> where, we but, where do we go? And create our own world that is better. Yes. Uh, is there anywhere untouched that we can just take over and create a new... I think uh, with our mind, we can be at anywhere, anywhere <laughs> we like, with our imagination. This is a bit poetic, I know, but uh, I like to think like this. I like I like how you think. Well, thank you for talking to me. I, I hope everything is okay over there. Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, so far at the hotel, everything is fine. Oh, oh, uh, your hotel looks beautiful. 
Um, Thank you very yes, much. Looks lovely. Maybe someday I can uh, visit. Yes, with pleasure. Okay. Thank you for talking okay. to me. All You're right. welcome, madame. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. So, Bye-bye. A nice French woman in Israel. Um, uh, you know, she's like, you should speak with an Israeli. I'm French. I don't really know. But, you know, we, we need to find a new world. Create it in our minds. See, we're all connecting on these different levels, different planes. Um, uh, But in case you're not up on what is going on over there in Israel, um, let me share this with you, um, because I did pull a a clip from CNN that that does a pretty good job explaining what is going on. And let me see if I can't pull this up here. Let me start the audio and I'll get the video going. Here we go. Protests have erupted in the streets after the Israeli Knesset passed part of a controversial new bill aimed at dramatically shaping the power of the courts, dramatically restricting the power of the courts. Opponents of the plan say it threatens to turn Israel into a dictatorship. Supporters claim the reforms are necessary to rebalance powers between the branches of government. Let's get right to CNN's Hadass Gold, who is in Jerusalem in the middle of what has been an energetic scene, to say the least, Hadass. Yeah, John, lots of action here. So in the, in the minutes after that legislation passed, the Israeli parliament, 64 to 0, actually, because the opposition lawmakers walked off the floor in protest. The, the crowd here really erupted. They erupted in booze. They erupted in chants of shame. Now they are gathered around a stage just behind me. We're just outside of the Supreme Court. Of course, this is what all of this fight is about. Various speakers talking at encourage the crowd, telling them we will not give up. Some of them even declaring that this is the beginning of a war, telling everybody to not leave the streets, to come out to the streets now and show the government that this is not the end. This is only the beginning of their fight. What we've seen in the immediate aftermath of this is the coalition government led by Benjamin Netanyahu celebrating this win because this is the first legislation as part of this massive judicial overhaul to finally pass parliament. It doesn't mean it will necessarily become law at this moment, but it's an important step for this coalition government that says that it will continue to push forward this legislation. But we already had the first legal challenge against us. It's already been filed in front of the Supreme Court asking for an injunction, asking the Supreme Court to stop this. And that could lead to a pretty interesting legal fight because this legislation is trying to take away the Supreme Court's ability to stop certain government actions by declaring them unreasonable. So they might have to sort of rule on their own reasonability, whether they on their own power, whether they can still declare something unreasonable, or whether the law itself is unreasonable. Now that's whether the law is unreasonable. The Supreme Mm. Court will issue an injunction. In the meantime, stock market is falling just around two percent. The shekel has also fallen against the dollar around one percent. Major, the biggest labor union in Israel that if they declare a strike, essentially shut down the entire country, is now debating, calling for a strike. And there's a major question about those thousands of Israeli military reservists, including elite Air Force pilots, who have said that they will not serve, they will not heed the call to serve if this legislation passes. The legislation has now passed, so that's a major question, a major test for them, of course, if there's a major conflict, whether they will be called up, and also if they will be arrested. We have yet to hear also from the White House President Joe Biden just last night issuing another statement encouraging Israeli leaders to take a step back. So this is what's happening over in Israel right now, where their democracy is in serious danger at a time when we're worrying about the future of American democracy. And it's a a perfect timing for me to welcome Tom Hartman back to the show. Uh, Tom Hartman, of course, you know, a a radio talk show host. Um, We've been listening to him for years. He's the author of 30 some odd books. The latest one in the Hidden History series is The Hidden History of American Democracy. And uh, Tom, welcome back. Good to see you. And what timing, huh? Hey, Nicole. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, it thanks. is a weird time in the world, isn't it? It really is. You know, I do this thing where I, I occasionally, I like to talk to regular people. So I, I tend to call hotels around the world because I'm more apt to find somebody who speaks English. And I just start talking to them. And I got, you know, I got somebody in uh, at a hotel in Tel Aviv. Turned out she was a French woman uh, who said things are pretty calm there, but it's it's. Uh, very uncertain and kind of scary. And I know Tel Aviv is kind of away from the action. Most of it is in Jerusalem. But I also called Jerusalem and um, I spoke to one guy and he's like, oh, it's no big deal. There were protests a couple of days ago, acting like there's nothing much going on. 
but uh, it's it, it's scary to watch from here because I know that the uh, the population is split over there, much as it is here. Um, and all I know is that everything seems to be in flux right now. Nothing seems to be um, certain. It's a very uncertain, tenuous time in history. Uh, you're a student of history. Have we obviously we've experienced things like this before, but maybe not in our lifetimes. Yeah, I'm guessing you reached a Netanyahu supporter. <laughs> in, 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 in Jerusalem. Yes, I believe I did. Yeah, just like if you if you were to just make a random call into Alabama and say, what do you think of Trump? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we, we have uh, the United States has very much had uh, some very challenging times. Obviously, the, the, the worst of those was the Civil War, um, you know, when we almost lost the Republic or at least half of it. Uh, actually, if the Confederacy had succeeded, they, they wanted not just to secede, they wanted to conquer the North. And had they succeeded in doing that, then the entire country would have lost its democracy because between 1830 and 1861, the South went from being a relatively democratic republic to being a, a fascistic authoritarian um, uh, oligarchy. There were about 2000 families that owned everything, including the entire political structure of the South. And uh, so, yeah, we, we've had we've had challenging times here, too. And, you know, there's a saying, history repeats, great song yeah. by Shirley Bassey and the Propellerheads, history repeating. And it seems like here we are again. Um, we're po poised at this turning point in history where we could go one way or the other. Um, I, I hope that the young people are energized enough because, frankly, they're going to be the ones who tip this one way or the other, I think. I agree. I think the Zoomers are going to save us, as it were. Um, the, you know, uh, every year, you know, another few million um, uh, pass 18 and can register to vote. The challenge is, will they or do they? Uh, they are turning out in substantial numbers, though, and I think that that's a really good sign. That is. The thing I worry about, though, is they seem to be uh, sort of, you know, not wanting to associate with either major party. They don't like the Republicans, obviously, but the Democrats, they're not thrilled with either. Um, and I think a lot of look, I think Joe Biden's doing a better job than probably you or I expected him to do. Um, yet he's not getting the credit for it. And because the media narrative about him is so negative, you know, he's so old, he's in for well, look at who his main competition is. It, three years is not a big difference when you're 77 or 80. And uh, I put up Joe Biden's physical prowess and mental uh, acuity to Donald Trump's any day of the week. Yet, for some reason, that doesn't that doesn't seem to be cutting through. And the propaganda about how Joe Biden is, you know, infirm or whatever it is. And it worries me about young people. But then again, they don't really um, uh, use traditional media the way that that we older folks do or did so yeah i think maybe that's getting more press than than it actually deserves um i, I think a lot of young people get it you know joe biden really tried his hardest to to do something about student debt um you know he has put the economy back together he's in favor of unions you've got a lot of young people who want to unionize places like starbucks and amazon um uh, he's he's actually done a hell of a lot better job than I expected. Yeah, I, mean, I was expecting, you know, Obama too. You yeah, know, another neoliberal or another Bill Clinton, uh, and instead we got FDR, who has only been constrained by the fact that he's got, you know, uh, uh, too many Republicans in the House and Senate to get everything done, and and then you know, of course, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema screwing things up. Yeah, but he has done a spectacular job. And, I think and so I think too. A lot of people recognize that. Yeah, I Certainly, I hope so. I, ho I hope that message is imported to the young people, and I hope they get sufficiently pissed about the things that the Republicans are doing from, my God, what they've done to the state of Florida, to, you know, women's rights, to education, what, you know, everything. And in terms of here, let's talk about the book. So the new book from Tom Hartman, The, the Hidden History of American Democracy, it's split into parts. And the first part 
is the history. And um, you, t- you, you're so good. I mean, you're you're not a professor, but you are um, because you teach us a lot. And the history of the, you know, you bring back the democracy to the founders, despite the propaganda and the revisionist history that um, they're trying to foist upon us, both in schools and in general discourse. Um, you take us back to Jefferson and and Benjamin Franklin and and the beginnings and you know the fact that that many of them were deists they this was not founded on any kind of religious belief it was an escape from the religious tyranny of Great Britain and they're trying to rewrite history here and put it in the school books well you spell out the history very simply and not only was it those um non religious Founders, but the American Indians too, that the, and other cultures that had some semblance of democracy that our democracy was based on. Yeah, absolutely. the uh, The founders uh, of the republic and the framers of the Constitution were very clear that they did not want to repeat the mistakes of uh, late sixteenth, early seventeenth, or late seventeenth, early eighteenth century uh, New England. Uh, from the Salem witch trials right through to Massachusetts, right up until it was accepted as a state, nearly not being accepted as a state because it still had laws requiring people to a church, attend church on Sunday and and uh, to pay a tax that went to support the local churches. Um, the, there was a, a, a running debate between Madison and Jefferson for years and years about um, you know religion in American life. Uh, Jefferson was a deist. He was not a Christian. Um, uh, openly scornful of Christianity, right. and and Madison was a Christian, and and you know attended church every Sunday, and Madison believed that if the government ever inserted itself into religion in any way, including supporting religion, that it would corrupt the religion that he loved, and Jefferson was convinced that if a religious figure, a priest or a preacher, ever became president, that it would be the end of the republic. And uh, both of them were convinced that their side of, you know, which would be more dangerous was the right side. And it turned out that they were both right. (laughs) But, you know, Madison in 1809, his first veto as president was uh, to veto a a piece of legislation that would have continuing would have continued the support of uh, George Washington's socialist program. He uh, created a poorhouse in Washington, D.C. that provided clothing, food, housing and uh, medical care to indigent people in D.C., and it was paid for by the federal government. And uh, in 1809, there was a minor religious revival, and so Congress sent Madison a bill that uh, had the same amount of money in it, but it allocated it to a church in D.C., and then the church was supposed to run the poorhouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Madison vetoed that and said that the federal government should never give money to religious organizations. It'll destroy the religious organizations. Um, it, it would be the it would be you know one of the worst things that could happen. And of course, you know it's exactly what George W. Bush did with his faith faith based initiatives in order to get the uh, evangelical vote on his side. You know, just a, a naked pandering. Um, but uh, you know. Uh, when that happened, I thought, you know, Jefferson, Madison, all those guys would be vomiting. Um, they, you know, they they wrote two different specific prohibitions on religion into the Constitution, that there should be no religious test to hold public offices right. in the body of the Constitution, and that basically government shall not involve itself in religion and religion should not involve itself in government in the First Amendment. Right. And, and yet here... In Florida, and I can—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm surrounded by it, and it's—it's it's disturbing. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, that's a, an understatement. Um, they just passed in the legislature a bill, basically a um, school choice legislation, taking money from the public schools. So they've destroyed public education in the state of Florida. They already did at the university level. Now at the K through twelve level. Um, Anybody who wants to send their kid to a private school, parochial school, religious school, um, can. All you have to do is say you want to go there. The money gets taken from the public schools and the allocation goes to whatever, you know, church school yeah, you want to send your kid. in his grave. As am I. I mean, as are, as should anybody who believes in a democracy. The fact that they're taking dollars away from public education to fund religious schools is absurd. And yet 
all of the um, the the pronouncements that DeSantis has made, you know, the the restrictions on don't say gay. You can't like teachers in K through 12 can't talk about um, same sex relationships or gender pronouns or anything. Um, that's only for the public schools. That doesn't. Yeah doesn't apply to the private schools and people don't you know they don't talk about that they don't they don't the average person does not have a clue what's being done and they probably don't realize that by passing this law they're they're putting the nail in the coffin of public education in florida which was never great to begin with yeah yeah It, it, it there has been a campaign ever since 1954. And, you know, the Brown versus Board of Education decision was what prompted the John Birch Society, to, you know, with Fred Koch's money to put up billboards all across America saying impeach Earl Warren. And that big and then, you know, you had uh, five different states that closed their public schools in one way or another. Uh, I, I believe it was Prince George's County did it for over a year, um, you know, just to because they were not willing to go along with integrated public schools. And the the solution that came out of that in the late 50s, early 60s was, you know, private religious education, um, all white private religious education. And uh, these voucher programs, you know, the amount of the vouchers is not enough to pay for the full tuition to most schools, to any Mm -hmm. decent school. And so basically it's a it's a financial subsidy, not only for the for the religious organizations and the for profit companies that are running these private schools, but also for upper middle class and wealthy families, because they can afford to kick in the extra couple thousand bucks a month or a year for the tuition for their kids, yep. whereas poor families can't. And what that does is that increasingly concentrates poor families in public schools and essentially ghettoizes them. That's right. Um, and then and then, you know, the Republicans will be able to point to them and say, look, at the, their public schools are failing. You know, their their grades are they suck. You know, it's time to shut them down. That's right. And which which has I mean, David Koch ran for excuse me, for vice president on this in 1980, a complete end to all public schools, period. And uh, this has been, you know, one of their articles of faith ever since. Yeah, it's it's uh, articles of faith, you know, and the, this this further convergence. And yet, you know, I, I have a I have a theory like I, I came up with a, an idea. It's opposite world. Facts no longer matter. Reality is now fiction. You mean like the There's bizarre Superman comics? It, it's just opposite world. It's everything that, you know, should be is the opposite of what it should be. Up is down, in is out. Uh, <laughs> right is wrong. Um, th- th- so you got DeSantis here or, or you got Trump, right, claiming that he's you know, Mr. Religious, he's got all the religious leaders putting their laying hands on him and everything. Meanwhile, he have Joe Biden, who's actually a religious man, who's a Catholic, who practices, who goes to church every week. And yet the evangelicals and the the Christian community supported Trump, Mr. Two Corinthians, who, who I, you know, he's probably as religious as I am and I don't have religion. So but. You know, they just why they're believing this stuff and sticking up for the guy who, you know, it, it just it's it's opposite world. It's no, nothing makes sense. And I is it, you know, years ago, I I thought it was a a gaffe when Trump's I don't know if you can hear this, if I'm going to play a real quick clip. He said, I love the poorly educated. He said, I love the poorly educated. Um, right. He absolutely meant that uh, because the dumber they are the easier they are to be led, and I think it is the dumbing down of America so that they can turn us into something that is very anti-democratic. Uh, because people don't know history, they're trying to rewrite it and put it in the textbooks. And you know the new curriculum. I think I heard you talk about it today here in Florida. Slavery. Um, here's a quote. Instruction includes how slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. Right. Opposite world. I I, I think, you know, I I really think it's a it's a combination of things. I mean, you know, when when Reagan, uh, when Reagan's campaign hired uh, George Herbert Walker Bush's son uh, to be their liaison to the evangelical community and flipped in the 1980 uh, election, their position on abortion. Reagan had signed the most liberal abortion law in America as governor of California. George Herbert Walker Bush and his wife were both very, very involved with Planned Parenthood and were big fans of of birth control, certainly, and and had no problem with with abortion under the guidelines of Roe v. Wade. 
um, when that happened in the 1980s, um, the, you know, the Republican Party started changing its tune about a whole bunch of things. One of them was uh, the Johnson Amendment from 1956, which said that if a church engaged in political activity, it lost its tax exempt status. It's still the law, but uh, there has not been a president since 1980 willing to enforce that law, tragically, um, including today. Uh, you know, they should, they absolutely should, but, you know, nobody's willing to take on that battle and make, you know, enemies out of a a major and potent political force in the United States. So, and then also the Republican party has been catering to the bigotry of the religious right, you know, hating on gays on the whole queer community and, and, uh, and, and to a large extent, you know, the, the, the white Southern Baptists, you know, the, 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 the racist, element within the Christian community. I, I should pro- probably put Christian in scare quotes because, I, you know, I, I, these would be the first people to kick Jesus out of church if he were to show up. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a combination of they want the power and they want the money. And, and re- the Republican Party is happy to give them both. And the Democratic Party is a little more ambivalent about it. And so they, they are the sworn enemy of these people, sadly. You know, it used to be back in the day, we, we always knew that abortion was a wedge issue, that they would use uh, in elections to raise money, to get people all riled up. I never thought, I, I didn't really think that they would ever get to the point where this happened. But then again, you know, when you steal three Supreme Court seats, um, this is this is what happens. So um, back to the book, Tom, the Hidden history of American democracy, the timing on this couldn't be better because I don't think the future of our democracy, our small d democracy here in the United States has ever been more in modern times at risk. Um so so your point in the book, you, you have it set into four segments. The first was obviously the history of it, and I appreciate it because you present it in such an easy-to-understand way with, with um, a lot of correlations that I didn't get before. I didn't get the Native American, the Indian um, uh, contribution to our form of democracy. But you're saying that this, you know, they talk about this great experiment, but this has been around for for a long, long time. Um, Hundreds of thousands of years, apparently, you know, certainly tens of thousands of years. Um, In the book, I talk about some research that was done by a couple of scientists at uh, the University of Essex, as I recall, and maybe Sussex. I mix those towns up. And um, uh, where uh, Conrad and Roper were the scientists' name, and they and they they hypothesized that uh, our understanding of animal decision making is all wrong. We have this theory that that uh, each species has an alpha animal, and the an- alpha animal is like in charge and makes all the decisions. And in fact, it turns out that alpha animals only have first choice of sexual partner. That's it. Um, you know, which comports with with uh, Darwin's theory of, of uh, survival evolution. of the fittest. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, the strongest genes being yeah. passed along. But when it comes to decision making, Conrad and Roper suggested that animals would uh, almost universally be making their decisions democratically because of the wisdom of the mob, the wisdom of the crowd, uh, that the, uh, typically when more than half of people are in favor of something, um, it's usually the right decision when, when confronted with a choice that has to be made. And uh, so they published this in Nature about a decade or so ago, and it was followed up by a study by James Randerson with some red deer at the university, um, you know, where they put cameras in the trees to watch the deer. And, and what they found was that at and and they thought you know okay the there is there are alpha deer right and that that at some point the alpha deer would say okay guys let's go it's time to hit one of the watering holes and there was three watering holes there what what actually turned out to happen was that as it got closer and closer to the time that they would typically go have a drink um, the different deer would start pointing their bodies at the three different watering holes. And when 51% of them were pointing at one of the watering holes, the whole herd would form together and head to that watering hole. Wow. So I called up Camp Conrad, the, you know, one of these researchers in, in the UK and said, you know, what happened when you published this? Cause it got published in nature, you know, a peer reviewed mm-hmm. scientific journal. What, what happened and, and, you know, what kind of response did you get from your peers in science? And he said, oh, it was amazing. He said, you know, the uh, uh, a fish guy, an ichthyologist called up and said, this accounts for schooling behavior in fish. I had always thought the fish were telepathic or something, right? You see a school of fish going along and then all of a sudden, right, like that. Ran. 
right. make a left turn. Well, it turns out that with every motion of their bodies, they are voting and they are all continuously monitoring the votes of the fish around them. And when 51% of the school all moves three degrees to the right, the whole school moves three degrees to the right. He said he heard from a bird guy who said, this is flocking behavior, same deal. You see a bunch of crows flying along and all of a sudden they all dive down. You know, was it the head crow said, okay, guys, time to dive. No, every single wing beat was a vote. Wow. He, said he heard from a bug guy, an ichthyologist who said that, uh, or an entomologist rather, who said that, you know, we see this with balls of gnats. You ever seen a ball of gnats uh-huh. in the summer? Oh, yeah. Along and then all of a sudden the whole ball of gnats goes like this or like that. Well, you know, they're voting with every wing beat. And it turns out that this is democracy is the default mode for every animal species that is a solo that is not a solo animal that is a social animal and including humans mm-hmm. and uh, in fact interestingly you know in the constitution uh, everything is decided pretty much everything is decided by 50 percent plus one uh, but, except <laughs> except for stuff that's really really critical like amending the constitution that requires a two-thirds majority in both the house and senate and so uh, what uh, Conrad and Roper did or what Randerson did is he put a predator at each one of the three watering holes or at least a stuffed, you know, a stuffed wolf that's, that smelled like a wolf to see what would happen. And suddenly, instead of taking 51 percent of the deer to decide which watering hole to go to, it took two thirds of the deer to decide which water hole to go to. When Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence that it was nature's God who ordained that, you know, all men are created equal and that we should have equal access to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And Adams and Adams then crossed out nature's God and wrote in the Christian God. And then Jefferson crossed <laughs> out the Christian God and wrote in nature's God. Uh-huh. When when Jefferson wrote that, he was dead serious. He believed that democracy was the the natural state of humanity and of all of nature. And it turns out he was right. And so that's the the kind of underlying premise of the book. It's why all the solutions in the back of the book, the 20 some odd suggestions of how we can revive our democracy, are all things that have more than 50 percent support in the United States. They're all things that if we were a democracy rather than, you know, a, a, a nascent oligarchy, right. thanks to the Supreme Court and their legalization of political bribery, we would have. And pretty much every other democracy does have because this is what the majority of the people want. They want a strong social safety net. They want free health care. They want, you know, a low cost or free college. They want high quality public schools. They want good public transportation. They want utilities that don't rip you off that are that are owned by the people. Um, they want companies to be kept, you know, small and competitive rather than huge and monopolistic. These are these are this isn't rocket science. This is they also stuff. they also want um, majority rule, which I think yeah. is like the 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 the. the basis of a democracy. And we don't have that. We have had minority rule too often because of the Electoral College. Um, That's number one. But it's so entrenched and and too many people, much more than um, uh, not enough to get the two thirds or whatever, 67 votes or what to get rid of it. I don't know how we ever fix it. But as long as we have the Electoral College, we're going to continue having uh, the the loser of the popular vote, like Donald Trump, somehow getting into the White House. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. I tell it in the book. You know, a, a lot of people believe the myth that the Electoral College was there to protect slavery. And I, I, I don't know how that would work. Um, but the, the, the reason that they created the Electoral College, it was it was based on on um, the Whig histories. The, there were these histories that were real popular in the in the mid 1700s. Um, the main one was written by a guy named Paul de Rapindus Torras. It was called The History of England. And uh, in fact, I have an 1827 edition of the book, the same one that Jefferson had. Wow. And um, he was documenting the history of England before the Roman invasion, when England was basically red haired tribal people. And Jefferson had red hair. He thought these people were his tribe. And uh, they lived very democratically and very egalitarian uh, lives. There were no kings. And they had this annual thing called the Vicar Gemeinschaft, where uh, each community would elect a representative who would go and they would, you know, uh, that would be their decision making process for the next year. And the problem that they had was, you know, there was no communication. 
um, back in 1787. Uh, electricity hadn't even been invented. I mean, it wasn't that there wasn't a telegraph. There wasn't even electricity. Ben Franklin was still flying kites and thunderstorms, you know, uh-huh. and hooking them up the Leyden jars. So, uh, and the and the post office didn't exist in its current form, or even in its 1800 form. It was still, you know, run, the postal service was run by the British, and the mail was opened, and and there was no postal privacy, and and it could take you know a month or two for a letter to get from D.C. to Georgia. And so, how does somebody in Georgia know who to vote for if the candidates are just campaigning up north in New England or in you know going only going as far as far south as D.C. And the solution that they came up with was to create this council of wise elders, where each community would select a local person, couldn't be somebody who was elected to office. So there would be no self-interest here, okay. not helping out the party or anything. Um, and and that person, each of those persons, the, the electors would be pledged to a particular candidate, but didn't have to vote for that candidate. So when the election happened in November, the election for president, you were actually voting for your local elector. Then the local electors would go to Washington, D.C., where they would meet on December 15th and they would get together with all the candidates. And uh, Hamilton lays this out in Federalist, I think, 53 or 56. And he talks about how this would give them an opportunity to determine if any of the candidates, particularly the one that might win based on the votes, was a drunk or a person of low moral character. And if so, then the electors could change their vote in the Constitution. And thus, we have the faithless electors. Right. So it was really kind of a very elegant solution, given that, you know, the geography of, of the eastern seaboard of the 13 colonies was larger than all of Europe. I mean, it was huge. Um, there was no parallel to it in Europe. And so they were trying to solve this problem. The problem is that, you know, by the 1840s, we had telegraph and railroads and, and the Pony Express, and and it became an anachronism. In 1974, Congress came just one vote short of doing away with the Electoral College, really? but, you know, at least passing a, a constitutional amendment that would have done away with it. But um, and and it was relatively non-controversial then, and and right up until around 2005. But then in 2000 or 2000 rather. But then in 2000, when George W. Bush lost the popular vote by a half million votes, and then uh, Donald Trump lost the popular vote by three million votes, and both became president because of the Electoral College. Um, now it is a purely partisan issue that is you know totally championed by the by the Republican Party. And the only way around this is the interstate compact where each state pledges that their electoral votes will go to whoever wins the majority of the votes nationwide. Um, that compact has states representing 205 electoral votes in it right now, but it needs to hit 270 before it'll work. But even then, when it hits 270, or if it hits 270, Republicans have have uh, promised that they will sue uh, at the Supreme Court to stop it. So we'll see. You know, the Republicans today, I believe that a good, you know, functioning democracy needs two parties. You need opposition. You need some you need yeah. checks and balances, although that's not exactly the, re- the way that term was uh, designed to uh, exist. But you need you need two sides to to compete against each other with differing ideas and opinions, because if it's one party rule, then we certainly don't have a democracy. But this right. Republican Party, the fact that they are against ethics uh, regulations for Supreme Court justices, what? Because because it's the the court is so heavily skewed to right wingers. I mean, I can't imagine they would have this stance if we had more Katanji Brown Jacksons on the court instead of you know Brett Kavanaugh and uh, Amy Coney well, Barrett. Be all over it. Yeah. Just the fact that they're standing up for Donald Trump, um, you know, saying now they're talking about, um, you know, erasing his impeachments. I know there's no mechanism for that, but just this is a in the House. They they control the House now, but they're not legislating anything. They're just trying to get dirt on the Bidens. If I remember correctly, it was Trump's children who worked in the White House who enriched themselves, not Hunter Biden. Million dollars while they were there. I'm sorry, they did what? They made over $180 million during the four <laughs> years that Ivanka and Jared were in the White House. Yeah, they did. And yet all they can talk about is Hunter Biden, who, if I remember correctly, was never involved in his father's campaign or had a job in the White House. 
Correct. And and every time they say, oh, we've got proof he took a $5 million bribe, now it's a $10 million bribe. Uh, the proof seems to evaporate just before the hearing. So, you know, it's 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 just another big lie. Right. And part of a, a functioning democracy is a free press. Um, and our press is being co-opted. And Donald Trump has made no secret of the fact that if he gets back into office, um, the free press that we have now will not exist. He's he's made it clear that he will be vindictive and 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 and, you know, perform retribution, whatever that means. Um, right. If Donald Trump were to somehow get back in office, do you have any belief that we will remain any semblance of a democracy? It depends on Congress. I mean, you know, if you have a Democratic House and Senate, they may be able to check some of his worst impulses. But I'm not real optimistic. I, I'm largely of the opinion that if Donald Trump gets elected uh, in 2024 or Ron DeSantis, for that matter, or any other MAGA Republican, a uh, Tom Cotton, a Josh Hawley, a Ted Cruz, uh, Trump has shown them how to do it. He's yeah. given them the template. And they are all in on Viktor Orban, Vladimir Putin style strongman autocracy. And that's the form of government that we'll end up with if one of those guys gets into the White House, in my opinion. Tom Hartman, it's really easy to be pessimistic right now to um, think, uh, <laughs> pardon the language, we're online only. We're fucked. Um, yeah. But you 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 do have some solutions. You are you do you remain optimistic or do you just have to be optimistic to to no, go I'm actually very optimistic i i think the uh, uh jefferson referred to the adams administration as the reign of witches and not to trash witches but i th you know he said this this will pass this this too shall pass and I, and I really think that the 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 reign of witches as it were the you know the 40 years of reagan uh neoliberalism which was my last book you know the hidden history of neoliberalism you and i talked about it um i really think that's coming to an end and 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 it really seems to me that the Zoomers are are uh, probably the most politically active generation since I was 16 years mm. old. And I, I think that that's a really good and healthy thing. And so I'm I'm quite optimistic about the future of this country. I'm glad to hear it. And you do have solutions in the back of the book. You you, you do leave it in a in a positive light. And there are ways to fix it. We just all, you know, and we've said this, you know, look, we, we go back uh, probably 15 years and it seems like we've said it every uh, election. This is the most important elections in our lifetime, because at that point it was. And yeah. I don't think it's ever been as important as it is now, because here we are. We need to banish them. We need to come out in such great numbers that there's not even a question here that the electoral college is not an option is not a, 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 um, a is not um, uh, involved here. We need to uh, mobilize, and that includes really the young people because they are the ones who can save us. And after all, it's their future. Um, so uh, the book is the hidden history of American democracy. Is this like the what number in the series? This is like the 13th. Number nine. Oh, number nine. Okay. And it's your 30th book. Tom Hartman. Of course, you hear him weekdays. Uh, find him at TomHartman.com. You don't need me to tell you this. My listeners all know where to find you. Tom, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I thank you so much for coming on and uh, for educating us and keeping us informed. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Nicole. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's always great talking with you. For me too. Thank you. Um, thank you. Stay cool out there. How's, how's the weather in Portland? It's okay. It's in the 60s. It's not bad. The 60s. I don't even know what that yeah. is anymore. I sit here and swelter. Yeah. Well, and actually, it's 73 now. Wow. I guess it's warm. Yeah. <laughs> I'd take it. It's, it's in the 90s here. And, the, of course, the water around us in South Florida is in the 90s. So, um, Which yeah. is anomalous. It, yeah. It's nuts. I have a friend who just uh, came back from a diving trip. And, you know, the word is, the scientists are saying that much of the coral will not survive this summer because That's the oceans right. are so hot. Um uh, good luck to us all. Thank you, Tom. Uh, it's great to Thanks. see you. I always appreciate it. Bye-bye. Uh, Tom Hartman, everybody. Always a treat to talk to Tom here. Um, all right. With that, we are done. It's a uh, – what day is today? It's only Monday. Tomorrow's Tuesday. Um, I don't have anybody booked yet, and I may not um, because, you know, I promised I would keep you posted on the, the ketamine stuff. So – Maybe we'll see. We'll see what happens over the you know between now and tomorrow at five Eastern. Um, but uh, I promise you something 
I hope, interesting. All right. Uh, Thank you for listening, everybody. And I'll see you tomorrow. Stay cool and um, get a young person to commit to voting because <laughs> everything is riding on that, you know? All right. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash sent by Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. I'm Nicole Sandler, and I've struggled with depression since adolescence. Now, I've seen my share of therapists over the years, though I hadn't lately. That's because it's gotten really difficult to find any good therapist locally, let alone one who you really connect with. So when I was presented with BetterHelp coming aboard as the sponsor of this show, I was thrilled. And since I'll only endorse products and services I believe in, I signed up to check them out. And BetterHelp makes it easy. It's entirely online. It's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So you go to BetterHelp.com slash Nicole Sandler. That way they know I sent you. And if you decide to try it out, you'll get 10% off your first month. You fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Nicole Sandler today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Nicole Sandler.